All right, good morning, church. We have much to rejoice in this morning. The beautiful picture of being in Christ and Him being ours forevermore and the, the picture of being immersed, fully immersed in Christ. And so our sins are, are no more and He sees us justified and uh, we are being sanctified and one day we'll be glorified with Him. And so uh, I know that the testimony that these, um, these kids and students have, have given to us today is a challenge to even us adults, maybe Maybe an adult here today who has never followed the Lord in believer's baptism and made that profession of faith public. I encourage you uh, to seek the Lord in that. As you have your Bibles, hope you do, go ahead and grab them. Nehemiah chapter 6 this week as we continue through our series called Kingdom Work. And as you're turning there, uh, let me make you aware of a few things out in the lobby. We are beginning to look a little bit like spring out there. I know the trees are blooming and and sinus and allergies are back, and those things are great. Uh, but that also means sign up for summertime. And so there's going to be Vacation Bible School signups coming real soon if you'd like to serve in that. That is an all-hands-on-deck type of thing for our church. Uh, students, your camp signups are out there. Uh, youth boys camping trips out there. We've got two mission trips that are coming up in the summer. One is to Cincinnati to partner with our, our church plant in Harrison, Ohio, to do a block party. Uh, also to uh, have the ARC Encounter experience while there. Uh, and so there, that sign-up is out there. And then also doing missions uh, with a church called Freedom Church in Bristol, England, to do a sports camp through Breakaway Outreach. And so a lot of things out there. Just want to make you aware of that uh, as you're turning in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as we have seen, he's come back. He's doing a good work, and he is working on the wall. And as we get to this chapter, he is going to complete the wall. And so it's been a great work, but yet this great work is met with opposition. It's been met with opposition since day one, and here it is again at the completion of the wall, and he's still facing opposition. So in kingdom work, beware of the snare. There are traps laid for people who are seeking to do the work of God. Psalm 141.9, keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There is certainly a snare. There is certainly an attack from the enemy, and this is exactly what Nehemiah is facing in chapter 6, is a repetition of attacks and traps. And so before we jump in, let me pray that God would give us his spirit to understand his word today. In Christ's name, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it was written and it was inspired, that it is able to correct, able to teach, able to instruct, and able to convict. I pray, Father, right now that as we read a narrative, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us of the sins that we've allowed into our life, that you would convict us of the snares that we've allowed ourselves to be trapped in, and that you would grant us repentance today, and that we would be able to escape and not do the work of the evil one. 
Help us to continue to do a good work, a kingdom work for your glory and for your honor in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to break this up into three different sections so that we don't have to read all of it in once. So number one, in kingdom work, beware of the snare of multiple distractions. Let's read verses one through nine together. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Oh No. Oh No is what I thought when I saw that word just a minute ago. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say have been done. And you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. As we see here, and we stop right there, we see that there are multiple attacks coming. Four times they come at Nehemiah over and over and over and over, and now a fifth time with this new way of trying to get in and get him to stop the work. So beware of the snare of multiple distractions from the relentless repetition of temptation. Let me ask you, have you ever got to a point in your Christian walk where you're no longer tempted? None of us. It is relentless. It is always coming at you over and over and over. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. This is a trap. The enemy lures us into temptations. The enemy is not deterred by our initial resistance. I don't know if you're like me, but I can say no once and twice pretty well. But if you keep pressing me on something, I'm more likely to give in. Are you the same way? It's hard to say no over and over and over. And it says that Nehemiah said over and over and over. I responded the same way. The attacks will keep coming for those who seek to do kingdom work. What are these attacks? Well, First John 2, 15 through 17 lets us in on this. And he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right here, we see three snares that come at us over and over and over. Snare one, the desires of the flesh. If you experience more, you will be satisfied. 
This is one of those things that tries to draw you to find satisfaction in the things of the world rather than to find satisfaction in Christ. If you will just experience more, if you'll have more physical, more sexual, more relational experiences, you will be satisfied. And this is a lie. They never satisfy. They lead you away from kingdom work and cause you to fall into sin. Snare number two, the desires of the eyes. If you have more, you will be satisfied. Every day we are met with, I need more things. I need nicer things. I need newer things. I need bigger things. I need better things. I need, I need, I need, because if I just have this, then that will satisfy me. It's a snare. It's a distraction. Multiple distractions come. And the third one, the pride of life. If I could just become more, I will be satisfied. If I could just be more popular, if I could just be more famous, if I could just be more important, if I could just get more likes on this post, if I could just be followed by more people on social media, if I could just have more power in my workplace, if I could just have more prestige, if people would just look at me differently, if I could just achieve that next level, we find ourselves chasing after the things that will not satisfy. We're not designed to be satisfied in these things. We're designed to be satisfied in a right relationship with God that is unbroken through his son, Jesus Christ. But the enemy lays these attacks at our feet and tries to draw us from kingdom work over and over and over. Think about the power that we have when we say no over and over and over. He's trying to take down Nehemiah. He knows that if he can take down the leader of this whole operation, that he can cease the work in all the different areas by all the different people. The enemy tries to take down leaders. We all know stories of spiritual leaders who have been taken down because they failed to say no. Because after the relentless repetition of temptation, they finally gave in. We know when parents fall prey to a trap of sin, their kids suffer for it. Spiritual leaders fall prey to a trap of temptation, and the churches hurt for it. This is what the enemy seeks to do. So beware of the multiple distractions. B, beware of the snare of multiple distractions of compromise in the name of collaboration. It says there, verse 5, In the same way, Samballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. This open letter, this was meant to be read by anyone that came in contact with this letter. This is the old version of Facebook, right? This is the old version of Twitter. This is the way that all this news would spread. And so, hey, this is what's going around. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's read this letter. And this letter is eventually going to make it to the king. So we are, we are building a case that is against you. Is exactly what's happening here. This was another way to draw him out of his work into the public sphere to compromise his work under the name and the banner of collaboration. The enemy is not really looking to collaborate with you. The enemy is looking to compromise you. And when we collaborate with sin, when we give in in areas and say, well, let's just, let's just agree to meet in the middle, we've already succumbed to the enemy's attack. This is why Ephesians 4, 25 through 27 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold, as some would say. 
that when we engage in collaboration, we engage in a game that is full of lies. And listen, when we engage in a game that is full of lies, we're not putting away falsehood as we're told to. Sin wants you to collaborate. It wants to make you believe that you're on the same team. It wants to engage you into a game of lies where you lie to yourself, you lie to your spouse, you lie to your boss, you lie to your family, and eventually you'll find yourself lied to and no longer on the offense but on the defense in losing in the battle. The reason is is because Satan's a liar. There is no I in team, but there is an I in the middle of sin. And in John 8, 44, the devil, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. It's a lie to think that we can collaborate with sin. C, how do we overcome? Overcome the snare of multiple distractions through persistent prayer for power when there is no peace. Verse 9, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God... Strengthen my hands. He doesn't pray for peace. Peace isn't coming. It is an onslaught of attack over and over and over. And you would think that Nehemiah would be like, Oh God, please make this stop. Please take this away. But he just prays for strength. It reminds me of Paul and his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul wanted peace. Three times he prayed that it would be taken away, but when he realized that peace was not coming, he was content in weakness because that was when he found the strength of God to carry on. I don't know what peace that you've been praying for. I don't know what situation you've prayed to have deliverance from. But today I know that God has called us to pray for his strength. Because when we are weak, he is strong. When we are weak, his strength is a witness to the world of how we can get through even the hardest of times. Knowing our weakness breeds humility, whereas boasting in our strength only leads to pride, sin, and lies. The second thing, in kingdom work, beware of the snare of malicious deception. Let's read verses 10 through 14 together. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God, Within the temple, let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. 
but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in a way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Samballot, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Another round of attacks. Beware of the snare of malicious deception and fear-fueled information. Verse 10, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they're coming to kill you by night. Malicious deception. The open letters are swarming. Case is being made against Nehemiah and now a prophet who presumably speaks for the Lord is coming to him and saying, let's meet together in the temple. Let's go and hide together. It's Fear-based information. It's what some would call fear-mongering. Have you heard of this term? Fear-mongering, the action of deliberately arousing public fear or alarm about a particular issue. Let me see if I can think of a, a good example of that in the recent history. Okay, maybe I don't need to. Um, I don't need to give you any recent cultural examples because you and I both know that mainstream media thrives off of fear-mongering. We know that it's motivated by an agenda to enlist fear as a motivator so we can get you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Not taking any political stance in this, I'm just telling you this is what happens. Because fear is a very powerful motivator, and this is exactly what is happening here. They're thinking, if I can just motivate Nehemiah to act in fear, he's going to sin. And so fear is a powerful motivator, as Adolf Hitler once said, mental confusion Contradiction of feeling, indecisiveness, panic, these are our weapons. The enemy's tactic is to instill fear in believers so they'll stop working and it will undermine their faith so that they will sin. Did you see what it said there in verse 13? For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. So beware of the snare of malicious deception and twisting God's word. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. He realized that this man of God was not sent by God. Because God will never speak against his word. Nehemiah wasn't a priest, and he knew God's law, that if he was allowed to go into the temple, that that would be against God's word. And so he knew that this was not a word from the Lord because it was against God's word. It's like King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 19. He was a king who wanted to make sacrifices. And he wanted to burn incense. And he was not allowed because that was only allowed for the priest. And when he became angry and he had the incense in his hand, he was struck with leprosy. Because he had gone against the word of God. Anytime that we think we know better than the word of God, we are in danger of the wrath of God. In Galatians 6, uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 10, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking, so for now, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There are all kinds of people who twist the word of God for their own purposes. It was the case here in Nehemiah. It's the case today. There are a lot of people who claim to speak on God's behalf. They'll say things to you like, God told me to tell you blank. God has shown me blank. Or God wants us or you to blank. Listen, God's word's enough. That's what the Protestant Reformation was built on. Sola Scriptura, right? It's Scripture alone. Scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice of the Christian. The Bible is complete, authoritative, and true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church had made traditions superior to the authority of the Bible, which resulted in Martin Luther standing up against it. Martin Luther publicly rebuked the Catholic Church for its unbiblical teachings, and the Catholic Church responded with threats of excommunication and even death. He did not recant. When he was met with opposition, he replied, Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound, By the word of God, I cannot and will not retract. For it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. God's word is sufficient. Here's the point. There's all kinds of teachers. There's all kinds of preachers. There's all kinds of podcasters. There's all kinds of people out there speaking. And they're all fallible. Just as I am fallible. All sinful, just as I am sinful. But God's word is true. If you don't know God's word, you can easily be fooled by those who claim to speak God's word. God's word is enough. So how do we overcome the snare of malicious deception through praying for God's judgment? Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. He gives it to God. He gives it to the Lord. As Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. As 2 Peter 2, 1 through 10 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them, 
to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds and what he saw and what he heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. It's in God's hands. Nehemiah prays here and he prays, God, remember what they've done. I am about your work. You are the one who declares justice. You're the one who punishes the wicked. And so thirdly, in kingdom work, beware of the snare of misguided devotion. Verse 15 through 19. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound to an oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, And his son, Jehonan, had taken the daughter of Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. The wall is complete. It only took 52 days, and God gets the glory for it. All the nations perceive that, man, there's only one way that this could have been done, and it's, it means God is on their side. So God is getting the glory, the, the wall is being finished, but the political war is still raging against Nehemiah. There's still rumor mills circulating. So beware of the snare of misguided devotion and circulating rumors. When rumors circulate, people pick sides. Moreover, verse 17, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. There's a lot of back and forth. A lot of people saying, this is what I heard, this is what I saw, this is what's going on. Let me ask you, do you ever like to be in the know? D do you? You're afraid to say it, I know. You ever like to hear what some gossip is? As my teenage daughter would say, Dad, do you want to hear some tea? I don't even know what that means, but I do. <laughs> yeah, all right, there you go. I'm learning every day. I'm getting old. You see, the enemy wants to undermine people's integrity by spreading rumors and gossip. They want to sabotage our witness by making people pick sides against us. We are not to engage in these things. Even as I read as we began in, for, in 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Every time we engage in the rumor mill, we engage in tearing down someone else. And that is not what we're called to be about. 
beware of the snare of the rumor mill, but beware of the snare of misguided devotion to kin over the king. And I know we've waited this long to get to this point of the chapter, but this one, I think, is the most convicting. Verse 18. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law to Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son, Jehonan, had taken the daughter of Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, his as his wife. Basically what that means is the enemies of God had married into the family of God. The enemies of God had now moved their way into the family. So the enemy, the one who's spreading all the rumors, the one who's causing all the problems, the one who's trying to disrupt the kingdom work, now sits across the table at the family dinner. When you go to the family reunion and it's that cousin, it's that uncle, it's the one that mom doesn't talk about, right? They're there. There becomes a which side are you on as it pertains to family. Jesus faced this same question in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Have you heard the phrase family comes first? Family comes first. Unfortunately, we've ascribed that saying to the church so that Christ comes second. If we take a closer look, this is what Jeff Robinson says, if we take a closer look at the surrounding context, the nutshell meaning of his distressing words is as clear and concise as it is radical and revolutionary. Jesus is telling his followers, if you would be a Christian, you, I must have it all. We may be scandalized by the hate speech, but I suspect in stumbling over Jesus' plain talk, we can't miss the real scandal of the text. There will be rivals warring for supremacy over the throne of our hearts, but our love for King Jesus must defeat everyone. What wars over the place in your heart? I'll be honest with you. Nothing wars more in my heart than my own family to put my family first, to, to make them an idol, to worship them, to serve them, to sacrifice for them, and to put Christ second. Because I'm fallible. I'm sinful. So what has your devotion? What has your life? What dictates your schedule? Is it family? Is it kids? Is it sports? Is it hobbies? Because often our misguided devotion to the ones we love serves as a snare to our kingdom work. How many believers are kept from doing a good work because they've come down off the wall for a really good distraction? C. Beware of the snare of misguided devotion of those who promote evil as good and make threats to those who call it bad. Verse 19 also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Finally, when the family member calls sin good and you call it bad, eventually your biblical stance will be met with a threat. Many of you have this happening in your own homes where other family members have chosen to follow a path of sin and if you don't accept it, then you must be against them. 
Fear is the enemy's tactic to undermine and weaken our faith in an effort to get us to compromise under a banner of collaboration. It causes people all the time to deconstruct their faith out of fear of not being accepted or out of a fear of not being someone who's accepting. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah who overcame the snares of multiple distractions. As we've seen throughout the scriptures that he was tempted by the devil over and over and over, and every time he found strength in the word of God. He overcame the snares of malicious deceptions where he was tested over and over again to see if he would break the law. And he overcame misguided devotions. In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, while I was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus has overcome even our misguided devotions. As you remember the, the Passion Week, Jesus is brought in riding on a colt. They're throwing their cloaks on it. They're spreading out their cloaks on the road. They're laying down leafy branches. They're waving them in the air and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the, he who comes in the name of the Lord. But by Friday, the crowd is yelling, crucify him. Sometimes our devotion is so misaligned that he has overcome. For this reason, John 10, 17 through 18, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We are able to come and worship today because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He was not deterred by the snare of the enemy. He was not distracted in his purpose to rebuild a people for himself. And so he, at just the right time, he laid down his life that we might be found righteous and redeemed only in him, justified and sanctified, and, and one day glorified, all because of his work on the cross.